Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Cross Time podcast for another bonus episode, another franchise focus episode. Uh, and this one, we're looking at the Miami Heat. So uh, let's waste no more time. Let's dive right into it. Um, of course, with franchise focus, we do it in three parts. Firstly, we focus on uh, the current team's direction, trajectory, their last few seasons, what the outlook is for them going forward. Then we move to a historic team from that franchise's history uh, to talk about a little more in detail. And then finally, we talk about a, uh, a legend or a notable player from that team's, that franchise's history to uh, talk about a little bit more in detail as well. Um, so let's get right into it. The Miami Heat, the last uh, five or six years, they've been one of the better teams in, in the NBA. That's a simple way to put it. Uh, at, in one of those seasons, making it all the way to the NBA Finals. Uh, a couple of seasons after that, they made it to the conference finals in the East. Um, so they've been one of the better squads. Uh, in uh, 2018, 2019, they were kind of coming down from the uh, the uh, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade era. That had actually been happening for a couple of years up to that point. You know, Bosh had missed uh, a couple of seasons with uh, his complications with his heart. Uh, unfortunately, had to retire uh, early because of that still was honored made it to the hall of fame you know a great player in nba history but um you know kind of left the heat in a weird in a weird spot they end up uh losing Dwayne wade to the Cavs to start the 2018 season the very next season the 2019 season they bring Dwayne wade back uh for his swan song uh or now actually it was midway through that 2018 season that they brought him back because actually the year prior, the 2017 season, I'm forgetting that he was in Chicago. It was kind of the odd thing. So after the 2016 season, the Heat were 48 and 34. Dwayne Wade leaves to go to the Chicago Bulls, I believe, just as a free agent straight up. Um, and so the Heat are without their, you know, arguably their greatest player in their franchise history, along with maybe LeBron James, although LeBron was only there for a, few, a little while um, and won two championships. But regardless, um, they were without Dwayne Wade. They were without Chris Bosh. And so 2017, 2018 were kind of odd years. They bring Dwayne Wade back towards the back half of the 2018 season. Uh, he make the playoffs, lose in the first round. Uh, and then 2019, they were kind of struggling. And that was also Dwayne Wade's swan song. Uh, same season that Dirk Nowitzki finished his career. Dwayne Wade also finished his career. Two of the legends of the game going out at the same time. Uh, so after 2019, they were kind of in an odd position, um, but they had also that that very offseason, they made the move to bring in Jimmy Butler. Um, they had also, you know, they had Bam Adebayo, who was developing further, and that has ushered in this latest era of Heat basketball, which is really the last four years, where you have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo as your two stars, um, and they're supported by, you know, a myriad of players and a lot of them very in interestingly um you know former g league players or undrafted players and this is probably miami's legacy especially in these last few years they've been potentially the best team in the nba maybe even the best team in the nba over the past 10 or 20 years as far as their their farm system quote unquote if you want to use a term from baseball um but their ability to bring in um raw or undrafted unheralded talent and develop them or find a spot for them in their team system and allow them to, to thrive. 
and especially we see it over last season and this season. Last season's team that made it to the conference finals, they had huge contributions from both uh, Gabe Vincent and uh, Max Struess, two guys who were, you know, two-way contract players. They were spot-minute guys, hadn't really gotten much opportunity in the NBA. And then they got, you know, a chance to play in Miami, and they showcased their abilities, and they became, you know, solid role-playing pieces that were, you know, the right fit along with the, you know, the stars that they had. In addition, they made, you know, a trade deadline move to bring in Kyle Lowry, who's the results have been a little mixed. Lowry's towards the back half of his career um, in his 16th season in the NBA, uh, maybe even 17th season. He's been in the league for quite a long time. Uh, Jimmy Butler's been in the league for a little while as well. Um, but this season, they're continuing that development. They have guys like Haywood Highsmith or, um, you know, Orlando Robinson, two guys who, again, are more two-way contract type guys. Uh, Yurt Seven has shown promise as well when he's been able to play. Um, but they're just finding roles and they're being productive in those minutes that they're given um, for Miami. However, it also has been kind of a, a turbulent season as far as the team finding consistent wins. Uh, so far this season, they're 29 and 25. They're sixth in the East. They're a solid team, um, and they've been on an uptick over the last month or two. They start off the season a little bit rough, though, um, and there's maybe still some questions. When you look at this lineup, uh, they've got Butler. Jimmy Butler's kind of playing almost at a, uh, you know, power forward-ish. I mean, him and Caleb Martin are kind of filling in that that spot, interestingly enough. Uh, two guys, you know, Butler 6'7", 230, Caleb Martin 6'5", 205, is technically playing that power forward. Uh, I mean, it's worked with P.J. Tucker, uh, who, interestingly enough, was with Miami uh, just last season. So I suppose that's the thought process. And, you know, they are winning more than they're losing. So uh, I suppose that works. Lowry starting at the point guard. You have Tyler Hero at that shooting guard spot. Uh, Butler, of course, a small forward. And then Adebayo at center. I mean, Bam Adebayo is an all-star. He's a rock-solid piece. He can't argue with that. Butler, an all-star caliber player himself, great piece, can't argue with it. Tyler Hero is continuing to develop. He's gaining more consistency as that offensive weapon, but he also plays well within the team system. He's averaging nearly six boards and four assists, you know, somewhere in between that kind of sixth man uh, to a solid reserve role to, you know, maybe if he continues this pace, Two or three years, he's a, a borderline all-star type guy. You know, he's just been very solid for them. And again, their depth is intriguing. They re-signed Oladipo, uh, who's been, you know, available. He's been a, their true sixth man, uh, playing the most minutes of anyone who hasn't started uh, multiple games. And he's averaging 11 points, three boards, four assists, one in, 1.7 steals, great defense off the bench. Again, we mentioned Gabe Vincent. You add Highsmith, Duncan Robinson, who's maybe a question for them. Orlando Robinson, year seven. I like their depth. It's a very odd match of guys at points. And that's maybe my question is, you know, where the where's the line drawn to an extent as far as utilizing uh, guys that are, you know, kind of Swiss Army knives and can do some different things plugging them in at positions you might not normally expect. Um, and, 
filling in a traditional type of a lineup. Because I'll be honest with you, I had not quite realized that Caleb Martin was that starting power forward until I started putting this together for this bonus episode. And again, it's working for him. Can't argue too much. He's averaging five boards in that little position where, of course, the rebounding emphasis is going to be a little bit more distributed uh, in support of Adebayo. Of course, your leading rebounder. He's averaging 10 boards a game. But do they need someone who's just going to be a little bit more size? You know, especially if you think about the uh, the Eastern Conference contenders, you have um, the Bucks with Giannis and Brook Lopez. Giannis, of course, will get matched up with Adebayo if that's a if that's a playoff series. But then you have Brook Lopez against Cale Martin, and that could potentially cause some issues, certainly on the rebounding end. Um, if you match up against the Celtics, you have Horford and Robert Williams again, maybe some rebounding troubles there. Um, but you know the Heat were competitive against that same Celtics team, uh, could have very well gone to the finals and beat the Celtics. Uh, it was a seven-game playoff series uh, for that conference finals just last season with a similar type of lineup. So I suppose that, you know it's possible that it works out just fine, and maybe I'm still clinging to my ways, you know, my old head uh, ways of looking at traditional lineups and saying they don't have enough size. I think it's maybe somewhere in the middle, somewhere in a gray area where, yeah, I'm probably holding to some traditional ways, but there's some aspects of the size that could be a concern. You know, but what the Heat have certainly is one of the great coaches in the NBA today, Eric Spolstra. You know, his story is phenomenal as far as his uh, how he came up and eventually became a head coach in the NBA. Um, you know, I can leave that to another time. You can look into that story. I'm sure you can find you know more informed sources on the specifics of that story at this time. But, um, <clears throat> you know, they've got a great head coach. They've got maybe the best executive in the NBA, one of the best. So they've got the rock solid foundational pieces around the team itself. The team is good too. Another concern has been injuries. You know, and you look at their injury report right now, they have a bunch of guys there. A lot of those are more day-to-day type injuries, but uh, Jovich, their, their rookie pick this from this last uh, most recent draft, he's uh, out with some back injury uh, issues. <clears throat> Omer year seven has not played yet this season. Uh, he's kind of a nice bench piece for them. He's, you know, a potential factor for uh, their hopes in the future. Duncan Robinson is out as well. Um, so there's injury concerns that's maybe impacted them that if they had those guys consistently, that would maybe bolster their chances. Um, future outlook, you know, things look good and you, you can't really argue with what Pat Riley and Eric Spolster have been able to do in the past and what they will probably do going forward as far as, um, you know, building teams and coaching teams to uh, competitiveness and maybe even uh, playoff success. Again, Butler, Adebayo, Tyler Hero, um, you know, that core, those kind of main guys, your headline guys, were in the finals just a few years ago. They were in the conference finals just last year. You know, this is a team that's going to be competitive for a while. Hero, of course, very young. Adebayo, pretty young himself. Butler's you know, maybe kind of in the middle of his career. He's actually 33, so he's maybe starting to get towards the back half of his career. Um, but, you know, he's still a, a nice group. Butler's still going to be an effective player for a while. Uh, and then maybe you just, you know, may, maybe they're a team at the trade deadline who makes some sort of a move. That's still something to be, uh, you know, keep an eye out for, I suppose. 
Um, but they've got a good direction. There's not too much to argue with. I would just say, you know, keep an eye out for that potential depth, uh, not depth concern, but height concern, at least for me, from my perspective, I'd be concerned just a little bit about it. Um, but their depth is great. You know, they continue to get solid production from those guys. And that's another thing. These young guys who get these opportunities and grow, it's not just a, you know, a one-year wonder for the most part. They're able to sustain that and uh, become, you know, consistent parts of that team. And that's even better uh, than just that one year of production. So they continue to develop kind of grassroots um, depth and uh, intrigue, you know, solid role players They've got star power. They've got some, you know, off the bench firepower. They've got a lot of mix of great things, but I would be concerned about the, you know, and maybe even the depth to an extent. Again, if you have Orlando Robinson injured, you know, you haven't had your seven yet. The only center you've had really uh, consistently this season is Adebayo. And then a lot of wings and guards, that would be a concern as far as depth once you get into the playoffs. And then height in general, just outside of Adebayo with if you're starting Martin and Butler as your, you know, three or four or whatever, however exactly they run that lineup. So that would be my my kind of pair of concerns with the heat. But in general, they're in good position. You know, they've, they've been competitive for a long time. They've been competitive really since the LeBron signing. Even after he left, he, he's, he left, they've been a playoff team, you know, most of the time since then. They've been back to the finals already. Outlook's, outlook is good. Um, outlook is good, excuse me. Butler will maybe start to wane down a little bit in his production. Will remain to be seen. Um, but overall, things look good for the Heat. Again, just those questions would be my concerns for them going forward. Um, let's jump to our historic team to talk about real quick. And, you know, there's great teams from the Miami Heat's history. Of course, they've been one of the more winning teams in NBA history. Um, you know, they had the normal start of an expansion team, lost uh, their first three or four seasons. Um, but since that time, they've been mostly pretty good. And a lot of that goes to Pat Riley. Since he joined the organization in 1995, they've been consistently competitive uh, outside of just a handful of off seasons where they've, you know, lost a bunch of games. You know, they've been in a re small rebuilding period. Overall, they've been great, whether Pat Riley's been the coach or the executive They've been, you know, a great team. And uh, I wanted to jump back. I mean, you can talk about the LeBron Wade years. You can talk about the Shaq championship with Dwayne Wade in his third uh, third year in the league. But I'll talk about the best team of those kind of three eras that are most highlighted as far as when you look back at historic teams. The one that's maybe least recognized, but it's still pretty popular, but we're going to talk about it anyways. The 1997 Miami Heat, you know, the mid to late 90s and very early 2000s Miami Heat were, uh, you know, right behind the Bulls as one of the top teams in the East, along with the Pacers. Uh, and those three were kind of right in that mix as far as your top teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Knicks pretty close, too. And it's important to note the Knicks because the Miami Heat, New York Knicks rivalry of the mid 90s to the late 90s and early 2000s is one of the you know hottest burning rivalries uh in nba history certainly in that era of the 90s um and they met in the playoffs so much in those years 97 they uh met in the conference semifinals it was a seven game series i believe that was the year that they had 
uh, a fight between, you know, Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson. Uh, there was multiple suspensions. Jeff Van Gundy, the Knicks head coach at the time, is trying to separate him, and he's grabbing on to um, Alonzo Mourning's leg. I might be mixing up a few different incidents between the Heat and the Knicks here, and that's because, quite honestly, there was a lot of run-ins with these teams, a lot of exciting playoff finishes, uh, both in favor of the Heat as well as the Knicks, different years. But for the 97 year, it was the Heat's a year to be the, the better team and to go further in the playoffs. And again, they beat the, the well, they beat the Magic in the first round, three games to two. They beat the Knicks in the semifinals, four to three. And then they go to the conference finals against the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls, of course, coming off their fourth championship in six years. Uh, Michael Jordan is solidly back from his, ret- you know, his return from playing baseball for a you know, season or a half. And um, they've just had the, you know, second best record in franchise history. And I think at that time, still second best record in NBA history. They were 69 and 13 a year after they were 72 and 10. So this Bulls team was still very, very dominant. It's, you know, Jordan, Pippen and Rodman. Uh, you have Ron Harper and Tony Kukoc. It's it's the Bulls. It's the late 90s Bulls. It's the, the middle of that three-peat. And they were competitive. It was a gentleman's sweep, uh, you know, lost in five games. Bulls win that series four games to one to go on to play the Jazz in the finals. But overall in the season, the, the Heat were 61 and 21. Uh, I think they were uh, second overall in the East, uh, first in the Atlantic. Pat Riley was the coach. And again, it was a a great team. We talk about Alonzo Mourning. He was the catalyst, of course. Uh, I want to say uh, was the defensive player of the year that year, um, or certainly would have been in that mix um, and probably garnered some MVP votes as well. Uh, Mourning starting at center, you know, 20 and 10 guy plus three blocks per game, stout defensive presence inside. You know, he's going to score inside as well, rebounding. He's going to do it all as your, you know, Georgetown center, uh, one of many of that era. He had Tim Hardaway, uh, the, in many people's view, the originator of the crossover, although that gets debated from time to time. He adds 20 points and eight assists with two steals, you know, solid point guard presence, solid center presence, two of the best to play that position, certainly in the nineties, uh, two of the best, probably 20 all time at their position. That's a great, you know, foundation. You add in Jamal Mashburn, who is still pretty young. Uh, he's fitting in a more, you know, role player spot in this position, but he was an all-star in his own right when he, you know, was the lead scoring guy. You know, he plugs in and, and fills the gaps as far as, uh, you know, adding some additional scoring. Dan Marley uh, starting at that shooting guard spot uh, a little bit. He he traded off with Voshan Leonard, and there you get your, your three-point shooting, especially from Leonard. Uh, he was a 41% three-point shooter that, that season. Those two, whether it's Leonard or Marley starting, they combined for about 20 points as well to add to the scoring there. And then P.J. Brown starting at power forward um, adds a little bit of everything. He's you know he can, he can get some points when he needs to, not really a great scorer, but he's a great rebounder alongside Morning uh, and a great defensive presence all around. Average just more than a steal and more than a block per game this season and he played the most games of any uh player other than Tim Hardaway that season that regular season for Miami um 
again, Leonard started in place of Marley in the playoffs, but those two were kind of interchangeable at that shooting guard spot. You have Tim, you have Mashburn at the small forward, PJ Brown at the power forward. And then their bench was all right too. You have Isaac Austin, who was a starting center at points in his career, kind of a journeyman, solid guy who plugs in there, kind of using that plugs in terminology a lot. Uh, Sasha Danilovich, I was a name, but I believe he was traded at one point in the season. Uh, yeah, late uh, mid-February traded uh, in that in the trade that brought them uh, Jamal Mashburn. So Danilovich was not part of the team, nor was Kurt Thomas or um, Martin Mirsep. But um, Keith Askins was. He was actually a longtime Heat player. Um, just kind of a you know a nice guy to have. He could you could stretch the floor as well, forty percent from. the from the floor, a taller, uh, small forward, uh, nice little rebounding presence as well at that three spot. Uh, John Crotty, your backup point guard, kind of similar to Isaac Austin, journeyman type player, but a solid point guard along with Gary Grant. Uh, Willie Anderson, a longtime vet with the Spurs. So you have that nice veteran presence, those guys that are well-traveled and finding kind of a home off this bench. And then the starters are, you know, two guys who are both brought in from other teams where they had success and they had greater team success and uh, individual success statistically uh, with this heat team, especially Tim Hardaway and Alonzo mourning, you know, all of these, it was a great mix, you know, great building of this team by, uh, you know, Pat Riley and not to mention Bruce Bowen was hanging out just as their like uh, 15th man off the bench he only played one game for them that season, played one minute and blocked one shot and uh, didn't play in the playoffs. And, you know, you can imagine if he had the chance to, you know, develop and flourish into what he was with San Antonio and the Spurs, what he could have brought as either a bench presence or a starter in place of Jamal Mashburn could have strengthened this group even more, maybe even been uh, a piece that took them over the top, uh, helped them, you know, be right there with Chicago. It's hard to say. Um, and that's always the thing with these what if scenarios, but overall they had a great mix here. It was a great team, uh, gave Chicago a run for their money. Wasn't able to pan out, but you know, this was really the beginning of what we think of with the heat This consistent, you know, competitive team. And at multiple times in their history, a real contending type of team and a, uh, a real quality team. So just wanted to give them their just due. Uh, as far as their place in NBA history. We'll close off this uh, edition of our franchise focus by looking at uh, a player from Heat history. This is a player from their expansion year, their first year in the NBA, to just before this Pat Riley, uh, you know, renaissance of sorts and the, the modern Miami Heat being born. And this player is Grant Long. And again, I with the past... More often than not, I've said, you know, oh, it's supposed to be a, a franchise legend. And I've picked guys that maybe aren't franchise legends, quote unquote. The same for Grant Long. He was never an all-star. He was never an all-NBA. Um, but he was just a, a nice, solid pl- presence. And he's a noteworthy guy. You look at the Heat's, uh, you know, franchise records as far as points and rebounds. Uh, he's one of the higher up guys as far as totals in some of those arenas if we were to look at uh heat records right now let's go ahead and look at that he's 12 all time in heat history in total points um with rebounds he's number seven overall uh free throws attempted he's fifth 
seventh in free throws made. Uh, minutes played, he's fifth all time in total minutes played, uh, and he's seventh in games played. So he was with the Heat a long time. He was a consistent presence. He was their third ever draft choice in their first draft, the 1988 NBA draft. Not counting, of course, the expansion draft where they selected their initial, you know, base team. We're talking their first ever actual college draft of, you know, new young prospects. He was their third ever pick, their first second round pick, 33rd overall. Uh, Played out of Eastern Michigan. He's a born and raised Michigan guy. Um, He would play with the Pistons later on in his career, and he maybe identifies with the Pistons a little bit more as, you know, a, a childhood team, a favorite team. And he played with the Pistons, but, you know, for most fans and for me, he's going to be a Miami Heat guy. And he's what I like about him is, well, first of all, he's got a few great names here, nicknames on basketball reference. They have the Take Charge Man, the Human Vitamin, and uh, G.G. Long. Or no, G is another one, and then G. Long. So uh, those last two are kind of like modern NBA nicknames are kind of like weak nicknames, but take charge man and human vitamin. Those are some, some great nicknames from the past. But um, what I like about him is he's kind of a tweener. He makes me think a little bit of a James worthy, not as good as James worthy, certainly, but even more kind of dynamic and a little bit more physical and athletic. And he's a tweener between like a three and a four. He's six, eight, two twenty five. Uh, very athletic, very strong, and he gives you a little bit of both worlds from either the three or the four position. If you want to play him as a small forward, which he never technically played position-wise if you look at basketball reference, but I think he could have. If you want to play him as a small forward, he can hit some mid-range shots you know, fairly consistently. He can maybe even stretch the floor, though he never really tried it much in his career. His career three-point average, though he never attempted more than uh, – one per game in his whole career. And that was just one season in Atlanta. Um, His career average was 28% from three. Although it should be said that one year that he attempted at least one three per game, he shot 36%. So I think he had the potential to be a three point threat. He certainly was a mid range presence, a solid mid range shooter. Uh, His field goal percentage was 48 through 49% for his first four or five years with the heat and in the NBA in general. Uh, so he can stretch the floor, he can score, and he's athletic, he's quick. He can run the floor, be a fast break guy for you, get your dunks. But if you want to play him more as that four, that power forward spot, he can do that too. You know, He can get plenty of buckets on the low post. He can rebound for you, averaging about seven rebounds per game. Uh, his best season, he averaged eight rebounds per game. Um, but going back to that three spot, he was also – you know, be able to steal the ball. He averaged uh, more than a steal per game uh, every year that he was in Miami. One year he averaged 1.7 steals per game. Uh, that was probably his best year, that 92 season. These were his averages for the 1992 season. Uh, just about 15 points per game, eight and a half rebounds, uh, nearly three assists, 1.7 steals, and half a block on some great percentages, 49% from the floor, 27% from three, and 80% from the free throw line. And again, he's a tweener. He can he mainly started at power forward because they had Glenn Rice at that point, who was your small forward scoring guy, your shooter. But if he needed to play small forward, he could. He fits both those spots. He can, you know, he's dynamic, he's versatile. 
And that's what I really like about him. Plus he had that, that physical edge, you know, strong player and he could, you know, be a, uh, a presence both physically his game and, um, you know, personalities and, uh, things like that. You know, I was watching a clip from the, uh, the Hawks and the Heat had a playoff series at some point in the early to mid nineties. Uh, this was when Steve Smith was still on the Heat, uh, and the Hawks were being pretty physical for some reason. Um, Danny Manning was really getting into it with like John Sally and guys like that. Uh, bodies were getting kind of pushed around and, and there was one point where I think it was Dwayne Farrell for the the Hawks uh, scores a mid-range jumper. He's pointing in Grant Long's face. Grant Long gets him in like a chokehold and uh, the whole, you know, both benches clear. It turns into this huge brawl. I'd never seen it before, surprisingly. And it was one of the crazier brawls I've seen in NBA history. Um, but he's a guy, you know, he's not really a, a he's not a Bill Lambeer. He's not a Rick Mahorn. He's not going to start stuff. But if you are going to try and be that team against him and if you're going to play some of that game, he's not going to back down. He's going to, you know, enforce and be that reactor and, you know, set the tone of we're not going to take that stuff. And that's what I really like about him along with his uh, his play, you know, his versatility as a, a, a player for the Heat. Um, excuse that buzzer I had some laundry going in the background regardless yeah he had a long career as well you know he played those first uh, six a little over six seasons with Miami he then actually went to Atlanta interestingly enough played solid for Atlanta as well and then became kind of a journeyman for the last uh, seven years of his career he was with Detroit as I mentioned uh, moved on to Atlanta again then to Vancouver with the Grizzlies for a little bit went with them to Memphis when they moved to Memphis, actually started a bunch of games in 2002 and then spent his last season with Boston. Um, in that back half of his career, he was just, you know, a, a more a reserve guy and a solid reserve guy. But in that starting uh, part of his season, he, he had a really great year, uh, a great career up to that point, excuse me. And he was uh, a quality starter in the league, maybe even a notch above that. And so just wanted to give him some credit as well, as far as what he did. Um, as far as, uh, well, actually, first, a side note, uh, his uncle, John Long, was actually an NBA player as well. He played with the uh, Detroit Pistons for several years and was a, kind of a similar caliber of player. Let me double check and make sure I'm not talking uh, incorrectly about John Long. I mean, he was maybe just a touch better. He was a, a scorer for sure. His first six or seven years, he averaged about 16 or 17 points. Um, so a solid starter as well. John Long was a good player. And then his uh, his cousin was also Terry Mills, who actually happened to be a, a solid NBA pro as well. He was kind of a, a precursor, not a precursor, but one of the original, you know, stretch four guys, especially in that 90s group. Uh, he had a stretch from... 95 to 97, where he was taking uh, about four threes a game and shooting 40% from three as a power forward. So that was pretty impressive. But um, so yeah, he has, you know, some family ties with other uh, notable players in NBA history. His brother apparently is also a professional boxer, which is pretty cool as well. Um, and then he did have, he's had a small little broadcasting career too. He was a broadcast analyst for the Thunder uh, for six years from 2008 to 2014. And then uh, in 2014, he joined Fox Sports Detroit 
as a Pistons analyst and sideline reporter, going back to kind of what I said at the beginning where he probably uh, still holds on to the Pistons maybe a little bit more than the Miami Heat as far as that's his team growing up. That's where he's from. But, um, you know, certainly a big part of Miami Heat history. And I'll, I at least will note him as a Heat player and a, a Heat, a great Heat player from their history, one of their most important players. But, um, yeah, that uh, takes care of our franchise focus for the Miami Heat. Uh, once again, want to thank you for listening. Our next franchise focus, we'll talk about the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, which will, of course, include some Bobcats history as well. So uh, thank you for listening, and we'll be back with you soon.